And please open your Bibles this morning to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. Last chapter of the Bible. And we're getting very near the end of our, our long series on the book of Revelation, we're up to chapter 22. We're looking at the first five verses. And welcome to Cornerstone, and if you're visiting today, great to have you with us, and we hope you'll stay behind afterwards. Give us a chance to get to know you. It's great to see you here today. We, we love God's word here. We love Jesus Christ. And we are now, we now have the privilege, the joy of looking to his word in Revelation 22. As part of the process of moving back to Western Australia, we, we bought a house. And like many people at the moment shifting into state, we bought a house that we haven't actually seen. We've seen pictures on the internet, of course, but you know how reliable those pictures are. They can make a student bed sit look like Buckingham Palace. So <laughs> a friend of ours sent, sent photos. He did the final inspection and he sent photos of the house and we've been poring over those photos trying to get a, a sense of the, the house that we'll be living in for we don't know how many years. We really want to know what it's like. We're very curious about the place that will be our new home. And this morning, I hope you've come with curiosity. I hope you've come wanting to know about your heavenly home, the home that you will be spending your whole eternity in. It's, it's a place that we haven't seen yet. None of us have seen heaven, but we want to know what it's like we should come with, with great curiosity and ask this very serious question. What, what is heaven like? What is this home for all eternity going to be like? Well, in the same way that a, a friend of ours went ahead and, and, and had a look at the house that, that, that we've got coming in Western Australia, a, a friend has gone ahead of us, as it were. There's a friend who's gone ahead of us into heaven and his name is John. And he hasn't sent us photos of heaven. Heaven is indescribable in physical terms. He hasn't sent us photos, but what he has done is given us symbols. He gives us, in these five verses, symbols and pictures of heaven, each symbol symbolizing a vital truth about your heavenly home. Let's have a look at it together. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Heavenly Father, thank you for this picture of heaven, these symbols 
of our eternal heavenly home, we pray open our eyes and our hearts to understand and to receive these things. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we notice about heaven is its correspondence with the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden had rivers, it had abundant food, it had a tree of life. But in Genesis 3, we learn that Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God and God expelled them from his garden. Here in Revelation 22, by God's grace, he has brought back redeemed sinful humanity to the garden. And we see that heaven is portrayed here like a garden. But there are noticeable differences between Eden and heaven. Unlike Eden, heaven's garden is within a city. Did you notice that? It's a, it's a garden within a city, within the new Jerusalem, within the new temple. And we can probably imagine that Adam and Eve, if they had not sinned, if they had remained in the Garden of Eden, that they would have cultivated it into a beautiful garden city, large enough for all of their descendants to live in. Well, heaven is just such a city. It is a dwelling, a garden city, for the countless number of the saved. We see here that heaven is a garden city with a central boulevard. Did you notice that? It's got a large central boulevard. Now, most famous cities across the world have some kind of iconic structure attached to that city. So for Paris, of course, there's the Eiffel Tower with London. You've got Big Ben with Sydney. You've got the, the Opera House. With Hobart, we have the mountain. With Margate, there's Meredith's. So every, every place, every great place has its kind of iconic feature. Now, what is the iconic and defining structure of heaven? What is it? What is its, what's the central feature that makes it what it is? It is the river of life, the river of life. Let's take a close look at the river of life. Let's have a look at the source of the river of life. And let's look at what this river of life makes heaven to be like. First of all, let's look at the source of the river of life which flows down the city of heaven, the city of God. The source of the Nile is Lake Victoria. And from there, water flows nearly 7,000 kilometres up through the Nile into the Mediterranean Sea. The source of the Derwent is St. Clair, Lake St. Clair, and the waters flow some 200 kilometres into the sea. The source of the river of life, did you see it there, is the throne of God and of the Lamb. It's a river as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, the most important word there is the Lamb. The river flows from the Lamb. And the Lamb is, is the book of Revelation's designation of our Lord Jesus Christ 
Jesus Christ as sacrificed. Because in the Old Testament, it was the lambs who were sacrificed for the Passover festivals and at other times for the sin of God's people. The lamb is a symbol of Jesus crucified. Jesus standing in the place of sinners. Jesus sacrificed for his people's sins. The source of the river of life is Jesus crucified. Let's be very clear about that. The river of life is in fact a river of blood flowing from the veins of Christ, sacrificed for his people. But unlike the Nile, which was turned to blood and became a river of death, this is a a river that's as clear as crystal. It's a river of life, you see, flowing from Jesus. There are two other Bible passages that powerfully confirm this. And that's why I asked for Ezekiel 47 to be read this morning. Did you catch the river of Ezekiel flowing out from the temple? I love that description of that river because it it comes out from the eastern side of the temple. It's flowing down towards the Jordan River. And at first, you can just splash around it and it's as deep as your ankles. You go another thousand cubits and now the water is up to your knees. Another thousand cubits, it's up to your waist and you're wading through this river. Another thousand cubits and it's too deep to wade in. You could only swim in that river. So there's this great river flowing out from the temple and it flows down to the Arabah. The Arabah is that that valley in which the Jordan River flows from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. And did you notice that that river, that when it hits the Dead Sea, did you notice what happens? It turns the Dead Sea, which is dead because it's so salty, into a freshwater sea, a sea of life filled with fish. And on the banks of the sea are trees, fruit trees, and the the trees are fruiting every month of every year. And Ezekiel tells us that that river doesn't just come from Jerusalem, but he tells us that it comes from the altar in Jerusalem. It comes from that place of sacrifice. It comes from the place where God's sacrifice for sin sheds its blood. The river of life in Ezekiel is a river of blood from the sacrifice of God's Savior, a life-giving river. And remember, the Apostle John at the foot of the cross. And it seems that all the other disciples had fled and only John was there to see his Lord die on the cross. And he saw that moment of death and he saw the soldiers come and break the legs of the criminal on his left and on his right to ensure their death. But when they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs because he was already dead. And the soldier took that spear and thrust it into the side of Jesus, into his heart. And John tells us that this brought a sudden flow of blood and water, a stream of blood and water. And he goes on to say that the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is 
true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. Why is John so emphatic about this? Why is he laboring the point that this is what I saw and it's true? And no one can deny what I saw. And I'm giving faithful testimony about this. He labors that point because it's so important that the death of Jesus brought a flow, a river, a stream of blood and water that would cleanse the nations, that would wash away the sin of all his people. And it's this exact river that we see flowing down the center of heaven, the river of life flowing from the altar, from that place of sacrifice, from the Lamb of God. This tells us, brothers and sisters, that heaven is built on the sacrifice of Christ and it is nourished by the sacrifice of Christ and it is a place of life because he died in our place and washed away our sins and washed away our death and brought us life. In heaven, we're going to see that river of life, the blood of Jesus crucified for our sins. And we're going to know that that is why we are there. We are there by grace. We are there by the love of Christ who gave himself so that we could live. And Revelation 22 teaches us that the river of life makes heaven to be a place of eternal life. Look there at at verse 2. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. We first saw the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, and it was Adam and Eve's sin that barred them from that tree. But here's the tree of life. Where is it in relation to the river of life? It's kind of straddling it, isn't it? It's growing over it. It's roots drawing from that river of life. And it is imparting constant and eternal life to those who live in the city. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, the river of life doesn't just give us living bodies, but living souls. And I want to ask you this morning, where are you trying to find life? We all want life. We all want to feel alive. Where are you trying to find it? Well, here is the one and only place, the river of life that poured from the side of Christ in his sacrifice for our sins. And look also how the river of life makes heaven a place of life for all nations, for all people. Look there again at verse 2. We read that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So do, are you following the symbolism here? The river of life flowing from the Lamb of God from the altar and the tree of life drawing its, its nourishment from that stream of mercy and that tree, the leaves, the leaves, where do they get their life from? From? the river from the sacrifice of Christ and they are leaves that bring healing to the nations. 
And this, this week I was reading my son-in-law, the book of Jonah. And we saw how Jonah had this, this idea in his head that, that God was the God of Israel. God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And he said, no, I'm not going to Nineveh. You're the God of Israel. Mercy's for Israel. Mercy's for the Jews. I'm not going to those Gentile dogs. And Jonah didn't get it. He forgot that, that, that God is the God of all peoples, all nations. He made the earth and everyone who lives in it. And there are many people in Asia and many people in the Middle, Middle East who think that Jesus is a Western God. He's not. In fact, the incarnate Christ was Oriental. He was an Eastern man, man from the East. Jesus is not a man for one people, one nation, one region. He's the saviour of the world. And we're going to be reminded of that for all eternity when we see those, those leaves that bring healing for the nations. And one of the implications of that is that Jesus sends his people out to people of every tribe, nation and tongue to take the good news of his love and mercy. We must never forget that. And my prayer is that, that, that this church will never forget the Great Commission, that vital mandate to take out the gospel, God's mercy to our city and beyond the city to all nations. Look also at how the river of life makes heaven curseless. Look there at verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. Remember our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden. And the Apostle Paul teaches that when they sinned, we sinned. They represented us. We sinned in them, he says in Romans chapter 5. And God's punishment for our sin was the curse. Curse upon childbearing, curse upon work, curse upon our relationships, the curse of death. The curse is like a river of death. It's the source of every sadness, every problem, every ill. But what we read here is that this river of life flowing from the veins of Christ, the mercy and the sacrifice of Christ, destroys the curse, lifts the curse. There will no longer be any curse. In heaven, there's no curse. Now think about that for a moment. No curse, that means there won't be any doctors in heaven. As much as I love you, you will be in heaven, but not as doctors, because we won't need doctors. We, there won't be dentists in heaven, no hospitals, no medications, no surgery, no palliative care in heaven. No policemen, no magistrates, no lawyers, no handcuffs, no fines, no prisons in heaven. No more home maintenance, insurance, weeds or pesticides, no more undertakers, coffins, crematoriums and graveyards. No more exhaustion, physical and mental exhaustion. No more anxiety, no more sleeplessness. 
No more trauma. No more loneliness. No more fear. No more lies and harsh words. Greed, lust, selfish ambition, pride. No more armies, rifles, bombs and generals. No more hunger. No more thirst. That's heaven. That's the new heaven that you're going to if you belong to Christ. And that's because all of those things which are the effects of the curse and come with the curse will be lifted because he took the curse upon himself. He took the curse and all its terrible effects upon himself so that we could be freed from it. And that means that the river of life makes heaven to be a place of delightful service. Look there at verse 3. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Look there at how in heaven that we will serve him. It's a, it's a word that, that describes the work of the priests in the temple in the Old Testament. You see, heaven is, is, is not going to be some kind of Balinese resort where you're going to be filling your day, floating in a pool, drinking cocktails, only to emerge to be massaged and buffeted. That's not what heaven is going to be like. You see, God is a working God. God is an active God. God is a God of art and science. He's a God who designs, who builds, who composes, performs, propagates, investigates, communicates, cultivates, orders, beautifies, enlightens, enriches, nurtures, raises, cares, and above all, serves. That's who God is. God is a working God. He loves to work. And work is delightful. And we were made in his image. We were made to work. Adam and Eve were put in the garden to work it, to cultivate it, to improve it, to make it even better. Work is not a curse. Work's a blessing. Work was cursed, the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that work is a curse, but it was cursed. This good thing spoiled, this good thing made frustrating, toilsome, by the sweat of your brow, God said to Adam. You will cultivate the ground and it will produce thorns and thistles for you. That's the curse upon work. But in Christ Jesus, the curse is lifted. And in heaven, we will serve God and we will serve one another in delightful labor. In heaven we will explore. In heaven, we will learn about beautiful things. We will design and build beautiful things. We will write and compose beautiful things. We will plant, grow, and cook beautiful things. We will love, serve, nurture, and care for one another. Heaven is not about lying on a lilo in a Balinese pool. It's about image bearers of God, the curse lifted, delightfully, wonderfully serving him and serving one another for all eternity. And finally, 
The river of life makes heaven a place of light. Look there at verse 5. There will be no more night in heaven. Now, I, I, I happen to like the night. I happen to, to like it when the sun's gone down and it's dark and I feel like I could stop. And, and just the day is over and we can stop and rest. But in heaven there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. You see, in the Bible, don't forget we're talking about symbols here. In the Bible, darkness symbolizes secretive and evil deeds. Darkness is about lies and obscurity and confusion. And there will be none of that in heaven. The blood of Christ washes all of that away. And God will flood every corner of heaven with his glorious light. I've lost count of the number of people who have said, oh, you know, the, the days of creation, I can't believe them. Do you know why I can't believe them? Because on the first day God created light and on the fourth day he created the sun. Makes no sense to people. It's very deliberate that God did it that way so that humanity would have would never, ever make the mistake of thinking that light and life derives from that star in the sky we call the sun. It comes from God. Light comes from God. Let there be light. He flooded the creation with light before he created the sun so that we could see that the sun was his tool of light. It's not the source of light. He's the source of light. The sun is just his tool in that. That's why he created light on the first day and the sun and the moon and the stars on the fourth day as a constant reminder of that. Well, look, I, I hope you have enjoyed, I really hope you've enjoyed these, these, this picture of heaven, these symbols of heaven. Heaven is life, brothers and sisters. Heaven is free of the curse. Heaven is for all nations. Heaven is a place of delightful work and service. Heaven is light. Heaven is worship. And heaven is built on, around, and is nourished by the river of life, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And did you know that heaven can be yours right now? If you're a Christian, heaven is not the place where you will one day be a citizen of. The Bible teaches that if you're a Christian, if you've, put your, you've turned from sin and you've turned in love and trust to Jesus Christ, then heaven is yours now. You are citizens of heaven now. In Christ Jesus, you are already seated in heavenly places. And if you're not a Christian, then the book of Revelation, our Lord Jesus Christ, has one word for you. He has one word for you, and it's there in verse 17. If you're not yet a Christian, the Spirit and the Bride say, 
come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. You thirsty for this? You thirsty for heaven? Thirsty for the city of God where there's no more curse and no more sin and no more hurt and crying and pain and death? You're thirsty for that? And Jesus says, come. Come, it could all be yours. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. The river of life is a free gift, he says. No payment. You just come as you are and you say, I'm done with my sin and I want the saviour. I want that life. I want his blood to wash away my sin. And so those of you here this morning, and you're full of regrets for all you've done in your life, come to the river of life and he will wash away those crimes of the past, the sins of the past. And those with addictions, come to the river of life. It's a powerful river. It's able to break us from those chains of sin, the chains of addiction. For those who are grieving for their sin, come. The river of life will wash away your sin and the grief of sin. And those who are frightened and those who look to the future and see only death and judgment, come to the river of life, to Jesus Christ, and he will lift your fears and take away your fears, and you will know that heaven is yours. And that person sitting here this morning who thought that life is pointless and you don't know why you're here and it seems like a big, a sick joke, come. Come to the river of life. Come to Jesus Christ and you'll see why God made you. That he made you to be a son of God, a daughter of God. And he made you to live for eternity in his presence. To love him and to enjoy him and to serve him in loving worship. For those who are tired, you're tired, Come. Come to the river of life and the sacrifice of Christ. There we find our joy and our purpose and hope comes the river. If you hear the voice of Christ this morning calling you, come. So I'm going to invite our musicians up in a moment. And I want to give people an opportunity to respond this morning. We rarely do this at Cornerstone. But if you're sitting here this morning, and and you might have been sitting here for years and years, or you might be visiting today, or you might have come with someone else, and you've heard the voice of God calling you, come, come to my son, come and find forgiveness, come and find life and light, and the heavenly city will be yours. 
If you want to respond, we want to give you a way to respond. And when our final song is over, come to the front. And the elders will be here. Elders and their wives will be at the front, ready to talk to you and ready to pray with you. Come and talk about what it means to be a Christian and how to live the Christian life. If you know that God is calling you to come, to come to his son, to receive eternal life, then come forward immediately after our final song. And we'd love to pray with you this morning. Thanks, Bishop.